Good morning and Merry Christmas Eve. Thank you for uh, being here this morning. We're excited to see all of you look nice and festive this morning. Uh, we'll, we'll kick off this morning our, our Christmas Eve celebration. We'll, we'll worship together and then we'll uh, gather, gather, to again, gather together again tonight at 6 to, to conclude the day in a candlelight service. So uh, we're glad you're here. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you have any questions about anything we do today, anything that's shared, uh, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Uh, once again, thank you for coming and, and welcome. Uh, as we get started, it's our, our practice as a church to just take a few moments in uh, silent reflection in our own hearts to pray and prepare our hearts for worship. So please uh, do that with me now. Let's bow and pray together. we read in Luke's account of the birth of Christ starting in verse 8 in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so Father, help us to, to share in that praise this morning to glorify your name because of the peace, the hope, you have brought us in the coming of your Son, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. And in that hope, we light the fourth candle of Advent, and I invite you all to stand, and we'll sing together.
Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me just say a, a, a welcome and thanks to our choir this morning. And so to Marge on the keys, thank you for uh, leading us in, in song this morning. Let me extend another welcome and an invitation to you all. Thank you again. Welcome to, to our, our worship service this morning. And let me invite you uh, afterwards uh, not to run off. I know Christmas Eve is a busy day, so some of you might have plans. But if you're able to stay, our community room will be open. Um, you, can, you can stay and fellowship and welcome and wish each other a Merry Christmas. Um, and then I invite you once again to come back tonight at 6 p.m. for our candlelight service. That'll be a different service than what we're doing this morning. Uh, this morning is more of a celebratory worship service. Tonight will be a more reflective uh, service with, with candlelight and in a time in Matthew's gospel. So we invite you to stick around after the service to come back tonight as we celebrate Christmas together as a church family. And as we continue to do so, please join me in a time of corporate prayer. Well, faithful Father, we thank you for the, the hope, the peace, the joy that this season brings, that this time of remembrance brings, that into a, a world of darkness, uh, you, you brought this announcement even to humble shepherds that your son had been born into the world and, and not in, in a way that was full of, of earthly uh, riches or, or glory, but in a way that was humble, in a way that, that showed us that you've come for the, the weak and the lost, for the, the humble sinners who are wandering in the storms of darkness. You have brought harbor and peace in the gift of your Son. And so help us this morning, wherever we've been, whatever we've been facing, whatever we've been struggling with this year, this season, help us to come now to this hope, to the, the hope that we have in the birth of Christ and the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Let this Christmas, let this time of worship and reflection on your word, let it be a time that, that holds us up, that reorients us to the hope that we have in Christ. Forgive us for all the ways that we've placed our hope in other things this week, this year, and help us to renew once again, to turn our eyes once again to the, to the hope of Christ, the, the hope that the shepherds saw, that they heard declared by the angel, that your son has come into the world to rescue sinners. So Lord, steady us, secure us in Christ this morning as we worship, as we pray, as we serve one another through singing, through caring for one another, through welcoming one another, through sitting under your word. Bless our worship and our work together as your church. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Uh, well, now let me dismiss the kids to a time of, of Weymouth Kids with, uh, with Mr. and Mrs. Pixon, so you guys can line up behind them. And then I invite the rest of us to stand and sing another couple uh, Christmas songs together. So please stand, and we'll sing together.
Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles, whether that's physical Bible or that's the Bible on your phone, to the book of uh, Micah. The book of Micah. We've been uh, going through Micah over the last uh, four weeks or so, and uh, this has been our, our series leading up to Christmas, and it'll take us into the new year. Um, and, and, and in God's timing and the way Micah is laid out, we've come this morning to Micah chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, which is a very fitting uh, passage for us on Christmas Eve here. So the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5, you can follow along uh, as I start reading in verse 1 through verse 6. It says this now, Muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Epaphrah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will rise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Amen. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. Faithful Father, as we come to your word now, and this morning when we are celebrating the birth of your Son, show us anew the glorious promise you have fulfilled in Christ who is our peace. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, on Christmas Eve 1941, Winston Churchill broadcasted his Christmas speech from the White House. It was just a few weeks after Pearl Harbor, and so Churchill and his chiefs, they had uh, traveled to the U.S. to visit with President Roosevelt to meet with him and to, to plan together to coordinate their strategy to defeat their common enemy. And in his speech, Churchill, he celebrated the unity that he felt uh, with the United States, but he also confessed the strangeness of celebrating Christmas at a time when the entire world was besieged by war. He admitted that strangeness, and yet he said in the midst of that chaos, he called his listeners all the more to remember the peace and the joy of Christmas. Churchill urged them in his speech to cast aside, for this night at least, the cares and dangers which beset us, and make for the children an evening of happiness in a world of storm. An evening of happiness in a world of storm. And indeed, as we ourselves celebrate Christmas amidst the storms of our time, amidst the storms even in our own lives, we too can rest in the peace and the joy that comes from remembering that in the birth of Christ, God has brought true happiness, true hope into a world of storm. And it is this hope that Micah points us to, that Micah promises in Micah 5, 1 to 6, Micah was a prophet to the people of Judah during a time in which they, uh, much like Europe in 1941, were besieged by a foreign power. The Assyrian Empire was at their borders, creating great fear for the people of Judah. But in the midst of this siege, in the midst of this hardship, God promises through Micah that deliverance is going to come. And it's going to come from a surprising place the town of Bethlehem. And from that town will come a shepherd king who is going to deliver his besieged people. 
But as we read this, we recognize that it's not until we get to the Christmas story, it's not until we get to the birth of Christ that we see how this promise in Micah 5 is fully fulfilled. Because as we read our Bibles, what we discover is that it is Christ himself who is the shepherd king who was born to deliver his besieged people. That's our message of hope this morning as we celebrate the birth of Christ, that Christ is the shepherd king born to deliver his besieged people. And so let's see how this unfolds in the text by first looking first at the siege in verse 1 and then at the shepherd king in verses 2 to 6. So first, the siege in verse 1. Because what's been going on through the book of Micah is that uh, God has been speaking through Micah to promise his people, the people of Judah, that even as he brings judgment and exile against them for their sins, he's also going to ultimately rescue them. He's going to ultimately deliver them, even in the midst of exile. He's going to bring them not just a restoration for themselves, but a restoration that will include all the nations of the earth. And so like Churchill, Micah, at the end of chapter 4, he calls the people of Judah to stand with courage against their present adversaries. In chapter 4, verse 13, he declared, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. He declared how God was going to gather their enemies to them like wheat to be threshed at the harvest. And then in verse 1 of chapter 5, Mike refers to God's people not as the daughter of Zion, but as the daughter of troops, because he's telling them to muster their troops, for siege is laid against us. The people of Judah were facing the very real threat, the very real threat of siege and invasion from the Assyrian Empire, which was the most powerful, the most cruel nation in the world at that time. This is who was on their borders. Promises that this foreign nation is going to come and humiliate them. It's going to strike their judge, their king Hezekiah, on the cheek. And indeed, the kings and rulers of Israel, they have proven themselves up to this point as utterly inept, utterly unable to forestall the invasion of a foreign power, even leading Israel and Judah into sin and idolatry. And as we read this, while we may not be facing the same kind of siege that the people of Judah were facing in Micah's day, we certainly face a siege and a humiliation of our own. See, we may not be besieged by a foreign power, but we are certainly besieged by the powers of sin and death. We all have an enemy that's not just at the gates, we have an enemy that's within our own hearts. Our attempts to rule our own lives have been as utterly inept and humiliating as the reigns of these uh, failed uh, rulers in Israel who led God's people into idolatry and into exile. This is our natural human condition. We are naturally besieged not just from without but from within by sin and death and idolatry. And we can muster our own troops all we want. We can rally our own moral efforts. We can seek the aid of cultural affirmation or political power. We can try and find security in our own feelings, our own actions. But none of that will beat back the enemy who besieges us. Because the power of sin and death is too great. On our own, we cannot escape from the brokenness in our own hearts, from the compulsion within us to create, constantly create new idols to continually pursue selfishness and injustice, to continually put ourselves first, even at the expense of others. We can't escape from these things on our own, and on our own, this sin and idolatry will lead us to ultimately be conquered by death, to be delivered over and led into the eternal exile of God's judgment for our sin and our rebellion. And Micah recognized this siege against his own people. He saw the feebleness and failure of their own kings, of their own self-rule. But then he promises that a new king is coming, a perfect king who would come to shepherd and secure his people. And it is this shepherd king alone who will deliver his besieged people. 
And it is to this shepherd king that we also must turn in the storms of our own lives, in the storms of our own hearts to find deliverance from our own siege. And so then let us look together at the promise of this shepherd king in verses 2 through 6. The shepherd king, because in verse 1, Micah, he described how the judge, the ruler of Israel, he's, been, he's going to be struck and humiliated. He's going to completely fail. But then he goes on to declare God's promise that a greater ruler is going to come. A perfect ruler is going to come from Bethlehem, a town that was too small to even be considered uh, its own tribe, its own clan in Judah. And now when Micah's listeners uh, heard the word Bethlehem, one name would have come to their mind, the name David. David. Now we're about a half hour from the city of Akron. And when most people now in the world hear the name Akron, the name of the city of Akron, there's one name that comes to their mind. And that, of course, is the name LeBron James, right? King James, right? Because of his story, because of his success in the basketball world, in some ways he's put Akron on the map. He's made this this little city in northeast Ohio a well-known city even to the world. And so just as when people hear the word Akron, they think of King James, In Micah's day, when the people of Judah heard the name Bethlehem, they thought of King David. The city of Bethlehem Bethlehem had a close, deep connection to King David. Because despite its, its small size, despite its humble nature, Bethlehem was the birthplace of David, who was Israel's greatest king. In Micah's time, the people of Judah, they would have looked back on the reign of David in Jerusalem as the golden age for their kingdom is the great age of security and flourishing for their people. And so it would have been particularly powerful here as the people of Judah faced the onslaught, faced destruction at the hands of a foreign nation. It was particularly powerful that Micah invokes the name of King David's hometown. In this time of fear and failure, he points them back to their greatest king. He points them back to their golden age. But he does so not to get them to look back. He does so to get them to look forward. Because he's promising to them. He's declaring to them God's promise that just as humble Bethlehem had given birth to King David, it would once again be a place from which a new David would come. A new king who would come. God's promise is that from Bethlehem, a new perfect ruler is going to come. A greater David a greater ruler whose coming forth is from of old, is, is coming from of old, from ancient of days. You see, this, com- this ruler's coming is not a surprise. This is not the, the shocking uprising of a new political movement in Judah. No, Micah says that this ruler is from of old. He's coming to fulfill God's ancient promises. Promises like Second Samuel chapter 7. Or in that book, God, he made a covenant, a promise with King David. What's happening in 2 Samuel 7 is David is king in Jerusalem and he wants to build a house, build a temple for the Lord. But then the prophet Nathan comes to David and he he says to him, he tells him God's word. He says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. See, David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but the Lord comes to David and says, no, I'm going to make you into a house. I'm going to raise up an offspring after you who's going to build a house for me, and I'm going to take that offspring and give him an eternal throne, an eternal dominion, an eternal kingdom and rule. And God's covenant here, his promise with David, was partially fulfilled in David's own son Solomon, who would go on to rule Israel, who would go on to build the temple of the Lord. But then one generation later, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel would be divided into two nations through civil war. Eventually, they would be exiled and oppressed by foreign nations. So God's promise to David in 2 Samuel, it wasn't fully fulfilled in his son Solomon. But God, in here in Micah 5, what he is doing is he is declaring 
That even as his people are besieged by foreign invaders, even as the kingdom of David has failed, even as there is no longer a, a king in Jerusalem who can fight back foreign invaders, who can lead the people back into the right worship of the Lord, even though there seems to be so much fear and failure going on around them, God promises that even though this is going on, he himself has not failed. Even as they face the threat of occupation, the threat of exile, the threat of judgment, God's promises have not failed. Micah is declaring that the one who was promised from of old, that this promised offspring of David, that God promised in ancient days, he is still going to come. He's going to come forth from Bethlehem, from David's city, because he is the offspring of David. He is the the greater David. He is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. And this promise is still going to come true even though the circumstances of the people of Judah make it look like that promise is impossible. And here's a word for us when we ourselves are besieged by sin and suffering, when our own attempts at self-rule have failed, when it seems like there are enemies without and enemies within, like we are living in a world of storm. Because when we're, li- when we're living in that, when we're in the midst of the storm, in the midst of pain or failure or fear, it can be easy to wonder if God's promises are true. It can be easy to doubt whether God is really good or powerful. But Christmas, the Christmas story, is a reminder to us that God never fails to keep his promises. Even the enemies at the border, even the enemies within our own heart are not enough to keep him from fulfilling his faithful promises of deliverance. He promised his people that a coming ruler would come to deliver them. And Christmas is the announcement that this promised ruler has come, that he has arrived, that he was born in Bethlehem. Well, how do we know this? Well, we know this because when we turn to the first pages of the New Testament, we turn to the book of Matthew, to Matthew's gospel, to Matthew chapter 2. We read about the the birth of Christ. We read about uh, King Herod inquiring about the location of Jesus' birth. And right there in Matthew chapter 2, we see the words from Micah, from Micah 5 verse 6 quoted. It says in verse 2 quoted, And in you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Micah's words in Micah 5.2 are quoted in, in Matthew 2.6. They're, they're quoted to show that the birth of Jesus, as Matthew understood it, as the gospel writers understood it, was the fulfillment of God's promise to Micah. It was the fulfillment of God's promise to David to bring a greater, perfect ruler who would be born in Bethlehem. According to the New Testament, according to the word of God, Jesus is this perfect, this promised ruler whose coming is from of old, whose birth fulfills God's ancient promises. You see, Christmas is not just this sentimental celebration where we gather together with friends and family, where we have good times and we remember the year and we get excited for the next year to come. No, Christmas is the reminder, it's the announcement of how God is faithful to keep his promises and how he did so in the midst of history, how he did so in the midst of a people who were besieged by storms and sins and suffering. And so we know that we can trust him when we are besieged by storms and sin and suffering. Because through his birth in Bethlehem, Jesus is revealed as the true David, as the perfect king, the perfect ruler, whose birth fulfills God's promises, whose birth is evident that God will always be faithful to his word. And so Christmas, this time when we we celebrate the birth of Christ, this is a time for us in the midst of the storms of our life, of the sieges in our own hearts, to remember how God has brought his perfect ruler into the world, his perfect ruler to come and break the siege, to come and deliver us from sin and death, our great enemies. We are not like the people of Micah awaiting the coming of this ruler. We are people who get to celebrate that this ruler has come, that he has arrived to shepherd his people 
with the strength of the Lord. And this is the picture that Micah gives us in verse 4 of how this coming king will rule. He says that he will stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. According to Micah, this uh, coming king will be no mere figurehead. He is no mere absentee ruler. No, this king will be a shepherd to his people. He will lead them, guide them, correct them, defend them as a shepherd does his flock. And this flock, the, the people of God who are organized under this ruler, they will dwell secure. For this ruler will be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be our peace. You know, the people, uh, the world was longing for peace on Christmas Eve in 1941. And the world is still longing for peace on Christmas Eve 2023. And their own hearts are also longing for peace. As we might be grieving the divisions in our own families that are extra painful this time of year. As we regret the disappointing thoughts and actions that have marked our lives this past year. As we survey the damage in our lives and in our world that are wrought by the siege of sin and death, we long for peace and restoration. And the message of Christmas is that this longing for peace can only be truly satisfied in the one who was born to be our peace. It can only be satisfied in the one who is himself our peace. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, where he's writing to a church that was so easily divided between Jew and Gentile. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Here in Ephesians 2, Paul, he is writing about how the Jews and the Gentiles who literally had a wall built between them in the temple, how in Christ they are actually made one new man, how through faith in Christ that wall has been torn down. They are one new people. And the way they are one new people is because this shepherd king has come. This peace has come in the person and work of Christ. That Christ has come to, to bring peace where there, has, there was previously division and destruction. And he did so by reconciling both groups of people to God through his own body on the cross. Paul is saying that the only way that believers can truly have peace with one another is that together we have peace with God. And the reason we can have peace with God is because Jesus Christ has purchased this peace. Because he has secured this reconciliation through the death of his own body on the cross. You see, what, what unites us as a church is not that we celebrate the same holidays. It's not that we believe the same things politically or culturally or socially. It's not that we have the same tastes in art and music and literature. It's not even that we live in the same area or come from similar economic backgrounds or look the same or act the same. What unites us as the people of God is that we are all in Christ. We've all looked to him in faith. We have all been delivered through faith in this shepherd king who makes us one new man, who died on the cross to reconcile us all to God together. And in saying this, Paul, he points us to the ultimate way that this shepherd king delivers his people. Because in order to break the siege against us, Christ himself, our shepherd king, he had to be broken by the siege for us. The only way to truly break the siege of sin and death and judgment against us was for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem and to grow up and to go to the cross where he himself took the full force of that siege in our place where he himself was struck and humiliated, where he allowed himself to be conquered by the judgment of God that we deserve for our rebellion and our idolatry and our sin. 
You see, the king who was born in Bethlehem, he died on a cross to shepherd his people. As Jesus himself declared in John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But then if you keep reading, you'll see one chapter later in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus also declares, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so we have to ask, how could Jesus make both of these promises, that he was the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, but also that he was the, the resurrection and the life? that he brings life forever to those who believe in him, that he frees us from the pain of death. Well, because Jesus did both. He did go to the cross and, and die as a good shepherd, die in, the, in our place for our sins. He laid down his life for us. But then on the third day, he rose again. He rose again as our victorious king. And when he did so, he fully broke the siege of sin and death against us. <laughs> Because he rose again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so it is ultimately in his death and resurrection that Jesus is revealed as the shepherd king who came to deliver his besieged people. We don't ever want to separate the, the facts or the joy of Jesus' birth from the purpose of Jesus' birth. That Jesus wasn't just born to give us good sentimental feelings once a year. He was born to be our shepherd king who delivers us from our great enemies, who died and took our siege upon himself and who rose again so that in him we can have victory, so that in him we can find resurrection and life forever. That is the good news that we celebrate at Christmas. That is the good news that unites us. That is the good news that leads us to worship together, not just this time of year, but week after week after week into eternity. And so this morning, on Christmas Eve 2023, if you feel besieged by the weight of your own sin, if you feel like you are under assault from the grief of suffering and injustice and death, hear this happy news in a world of storm, that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem to deliver his besieged people, to completely swallow up our sin and death, to rise again in victory over our greatest enemies. He's come to shepherd his flock with the strength of the Lord. And if we trust in him, if we place our faith in him this Christmas, if we turn our hearts back to him this morning, then we will dwell secure no matter what storms rage around us. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. As we think of all the different gifts that we celebrate this time of year, all the different ways we seek to find hope in one another, in our world, and good feelings or in coming together, Lord. Remind us of, of the one true hope that unites us, the one true hope that delivers us, the true hope of Christ our Savior, our Shepherd King, born to deliver his besieged people. So Lord, free us from the sieges in our own hearts. Free us from sin and temptation. Help us to walk in the victory and the life that are ours in Christ. Help us not to separate the celebration of this time from the, the purpose, the, the reason Christ came into the world to rescue and deliver sinners. Help us to live out of this unity, out of this joy, out of this hope and this peace. And help us to go and share it with others this Christmas for your glory and for the good of your kingdom, which will last forever. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll close our time singing once more together, so please stand and sing with us.
Amen. Well, we spoke of Matthew's gospel this morning, and so we want to invite you all to come back tonight at 6 p.m. where we'll spend a little more time in Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. Uh, But as we go from here, uh, let us go with this word of benediction from the book of Romans, remembering the peace and the hope that we have in Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Go in peace.